I'm at the LeBron point of the week where Not I'm of just your tr- careers, just of the week. Of the week, yeah. 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 Where I'm just trying to assess uh how much I have left in the tank so that I am uh-huh. uh using my energy to maximum efficiency. You're gonna parse out you're gonna pick your spots the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean I'm only gonna play defense on like one out of every five possessions in the spot, I think. But okay. you know, you'll notice when I do. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could be a short pod. We only have a couple things to talk about. (laughs) I suppose that's true. Um, You know, and I plan to be shockingly effective. I just, you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, if you're LeBron, then that's expected. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know what that makes me. uh, I have no interest in being Anthony Davis. (laughs) no no you want to be uh austin reeves i'm not thrilled about it but it's better than being d'angelo russell (laughs) true true. Uh, could i be lonnie walker i was gonna say maybe lonnie walker is the guy you want or even Rui. i could be Rui. whatever we've gone too far with this we'll get to nba playoff stuff later uh let's talk challenge yeah um it was uh Quite a week in the challenge. A lot of some, 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 I, maybe the most serious tears we've ever seen in a challenge episode. I don't know. Um, oh, you would call those serious? That's the word you would choose for those tears? What were you calling them? Crocodile tears? Um, I'm not saying she was necessarily faking it, but I do think it was a bit much. Oh, I mean, I just I thought it was genuine emotion. Just you know, I guess that's what I'm saying. It that's was extremely I, loud sobbing, like a two-year-old. And I know it, I have a two-year-old. She sounded it just like uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And it seemed to go on for an extraordinarily long time, based on the way they shot it. Uh, now yeah. who knows? You know, they may have milked every last nanosecond of the crying, but it was loud and it was extended. Uh, it and, reminded me a little bit of Lolo Jones, you know what I mean? And right. like the uh, Olympic competitor, like just loses their shit kind of, kind of way. Right. You know? And sure, this is intense competition. It just felt like a little much. And by the way, I mean, I guess we can just begin at the ending because that was a mismatch. I mean, Sarah, you really saw it. I'm not Sarah. Emily, you really saw it when they hugged at the end. Sarah is a lot bigger than Casey, and she put that to work to get the the initial 
hall brawl victory, but in the second decisive hall brawl, Casey just folded that big girl in half and moved her. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I think that Danny uh, explained it pretty well. You know, basically, like, I do this for a living. And yeah, low man it, wins. I, I know, but but at the same time. Yeah. Yes. I was surprised, even given the size disadvantage. I, in fact, I even had it in my notes. I was surprised uh, that Emily got the W in the first one just because Casey tackles people. Like, so she she gets the low man leverage thing. You know what I mean? So. Um, yeah, well, I thought she I, got low in the first one, and Emily's still just the, the first the like engagement on the first hall brawl lasted longer. So I think yeah. Emily better used her size to grind Casey down. But like I said in the second one, she just folded her in half, which made it really tough for Emily to use, use her that. strength and size. Um, she just hit her like right at the belt line and folded her right at the beginning of the hall brawl, and then just kind of dragged her like a sack of potatoes. Uh, it yep. was very impressive, and Casey's a beast. And I also enjoyed the Troy, um, like, he sort of get stumbled stuffed. over his words and finally settled on get stuffed <laughs> to Emily. Yeah. It was very Australian. <laughs> and arguably, the I, I would say if, if that wasn't the line of the week, then it was Emily talking about Troy when she said, having Troy come after me is like having a poo every day. It's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, also very Australian to call it a poo, having a poo. Having a poo, yeah. It was, it was funny, but also like – strange uh, as an analogy as as it was she was right like she had been going after troy repeatedly like it's not like he just decided that was going to happen of course that was going to happen because they were attacking them nonstop. Yeah. the whole reason they were like, down there was because they attacked them i felt like yes and emily largely played the entire game for themselves yes I, which i have zero problem with Yes. And I think you just got to go out that way. You know what Correct. I mean? Correct. Like, they and were by the way, I think they were nominally in an alliance with Sarah and Nanny. Sure. But given the way but, it panned out, you better believe Sarah feels stupid for going to Emily and telling her she was going to throw her in. <laughs> I guess. Although, I mean, she could have just been. Why. She, she could have just kept it to herself as it turned out, yeah. Exactly, and she could have played it perfectly because she could have been like, you know, listen, I haven't made a decision yet. Like, I came in the game with Danny, so I really owe him my loyalty, but I value our friendship so much. I I, I think it's just going to be a game-time decision, blah, 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 and she would have gotten away scot-free. She could have even said, I was going to save you. Um, and instead, she had to whisper it to her in a bathroom, which was one of the weirder scenes on the episode. But it was a lot. It was a very whispery conversation through a door. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, obviously they were going another way to try to keep it off camera, right? Which is yep. Um, how we got to where we got to. Yeah. I uh, I had actually written it in my notes, proud of myself when they were doing the stalemate, but I was like, "Boy, now is really the time for a TJ twist." Yeah, and uh, and I was glad that he brought it. And we talked about it last week, like, why wasn't there one? And maybe this is our answer, because 
he finally did it, and it was the right twist. Not that it necessarily affected the results, but it was dramatic. Yeah, I agree. I, I also sort of feel like, and I still I, – I want to talk about Danny a little bit. Yeah. Because I feel like he could have found himself in the final exactly as he is right now. Uh-huh. Without any of this agitas, <laughs> like if he just got, if he had just gone along with what was happening, right? You know what I mean? And how ironic that in the he, end, he seems pissed about it. By the way, well, because he, because this woman that he was riding for all year long, all of a sudden acts wishy washy in the second to last elimination, or the you know the last elimination about getting him to the final. Yeah. Like she Unless suddenly she the end, right? Like she went with the plan in the end. I guess, but if I'm Danny, that com he you could tell it was that conversation with Sarah where she was like, I just don't know. That that pissed him off. Yeah. And, totally. It did. And it's like they it, it's just like, dude. But here's Tori's the point to me. Been your number ones too, man. That's right. <laughs> like, and by the way, like Tori's number ones are both still here. And in the end, it's Sarah, your alleged ride or die, who you said you trusted 100%, who has, who is playing weird with two different number one teams, right? Like you right. spent a whole season worried that that was going to happen to Tori, and who knew? Who could have possibly guessed? It was the fucking rookie in the actual challenge game that made that mistake and not Tori. Tori has all of her allies in the final, no problem. Yeah, and and then and watching Sarah go through that. Well, Danny's my, my most number one, right? But Tori's my least. Like there is either Danny's your number one or he's not. Right? You know what I mean? Right? And like and that, that's it. That's the end of the discussion. That's that's the whole point of designating someone your number one. Right? That's right. What are we doing? Yeah. We're, we're, and she know. still somehow doesn't understand after playing an entire season that the only teams is partners. That's what the game is. You play the game. You don't play the weird made-up team in your head. <laughs> yeah. But look, somehow it, it's worked out well for Sarah as well. Well, uh, and I'll say it's worked out well in part because both – Theo and Sarah and Danny and Tori, as much as it may frustrate them overall, have played the middle all season long. So they never made themselves obvious targets other than their bickering. And um, they're also good enough to never have been the worst, you know? Right. Right. I think we have found ourselves now in a final uh, that is uh, like, it's as wide open as these NBA playoffs, right? Like, more it's so. up for grabs right now. Would, would uh, not surprise me if any one of those four teams won. Not uh, uh, Really, all, all five coming into this episode, I would have said it wouldn't have shocked me. Because, you know, going into a final where there's a good chance of a swimming portion, uh, yes, and Emily would have been a threat as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. I um, did enjoy th uh, the TJ line. You guys all seem fresh. Let's start the final now. And poor Casey and Troy are like, what the hell? Everyone's now, fresh. I assume, I assume because it's almost midnight. Yeah, they're going to get a night of sleep. He says that. 
that it's going to be just you're right. It's going to be a difficult night's sleep. That's going to be the start of the final, right? Which obviously is a staple of finals to come. That's my um, guess. Yes, but um, yeah. but but just it was just a funny scene and the way <laughs> I think Troy and the ITM said something to the effect of, you know, we're dirty, we're beaten up, we're bruised. Everyone else has just been watching. We're going to start the final. I I, I got to believe the smart money's on us. <laughs> <laughs> See, I thought he was trying to say that we're the team everybody's going to pick on it. He just came out, we're the team to beat. <laughs> like um, like that got lost in translation. But you think he was actually making a joke? Oh, I, th- I think he was absolutely making a joke. Yeah. Okay. Got uh, it. Yeah. All right. I got it. Yeah. Because it was like, I got to believe we're the team to beat. Like the way he said it to me, I thought it was definitely a joke. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit. And Theo and Sarah had a really, I think, accidental, but but like it, it timed out really well. Like like sort of when you see one of those elaborate handshakes before an NBA game, and you're like, man, how did they come up with and practice that? But uh, you know, without the practice, when the <laughs> Theo was just like you know talking abstractly about the final, and was like, and here we go, I guess. I guess we got to get ready to rumble. You ready? And she's like, I'm ready. And he's like, ready. It, it worked out really well. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Theo, uh, Theo's been pretty underrated this season, actually. He has Kinda. been. I would say he's been understated. Um, and it's worked for him. I would agree. I'd agree. Because he can be kind of mean when he wants to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would say uh, most of his legacy is being, like, really physically talented and then drunk and mean yeah he's charming also oh very charming yeah when he wants to be but yes also very mean so um it's gonna be interesting to see and i think the fact that him and kaz are in this uh also could get interesting were you uh moved by the the kaz and jordan uh reconciliation at the beginning of the episode i kind of was look i I don't know if I'm moved, but I am as a consumer of the challenge and a, you know, broadly speaking fan of all of the participants. Um, I appreciate that Jordan is trying to be a better person. Yeah, trying. (laughs) Yeah, not always succeeding, but part of trying, part of sincerely trying to be a better person is being reasonably apologetic when you fail and and realize that you have failed you know yeah yeah he's certainly uh been able to admit he's wrong uh which is not something he could do in the past um no it is not and uh and i like that and i also don't think like i think his point to tori about these votes you know what i mean uh like, I, I do think he tried to handle that in a way that was kind of fair to everyone, even though I guess it involved making a side deal she didn't know about. It was still a side deal in, in everybody's best interest. You know what I mean? Was it? You don't don't you don't think? Well, I mean, right. why? He got, he got them out of that situation last week where she would have had to choose, right? So to me, that's in everyone's best interest. <sighs> It didn't maybe didn't help everybody this week, but he couldn't have known that when he made the deal, you know. Well, I don't know that he. I mean, he told them he couldn't guarantee not saying their name. I don't know why you don't just throw yes and Emily in, because you put yourself at risk. But 
I, I guess it wasn't the end of the world. I do understand Tori's perspective of like, if we are really ride or dying this thing, why don't you keep me informed of your movements? You know, just on that basis. I would say I'm probably in Tori's camp. Um, mm. Yes, I would have kept that to myself. I guess. I, it's, it's you know, at that point, the house is so small. You know, you don't want you don't want too many people to know you're going to throw a challenge, not throw a challenge, but uh, not win a challenge, intentionally not win a challenge that you could win, clearly. Well, but that's just I mean, that's just telling Tori. It's not tell. it's not announcing it. She, yeah, but you're again, telling Tori, then you're if you're telling Tori, you're also potentially you're you're also basically telling Casey and uh, uh, Troy and then then literally half the house does. You? I think they're all playing together, right? I guess, but I do think there's a different level. I mean, theoretically, there's a level where, like, Jordan and Tori... I mean, at least the way they talk about it, they are... I don't uh, know. I mean, as Danny has explained it many times, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, Casey's just, just as much Tori's number one as Jordan is. So. I guess. I'm not sure I'm not sure that's true, but maybe you're right. Yeah. Um, anyway, they're all here, and now it's going to be a pretty wide-open final. I don't know why Danny's so pissed about it because I think he's got as good a chance as anybody. Yeah, he he should chill out. Um, and and you know, like Theo and Sarah, who he wanted to bring, are just as much threats as Jordan and Kaz or uh, Casey and Troy. So, like, what 100%. are we doing? You know what I mean? Yep. So it's all the same. That's uh, five. It's five. It's five really high level teams. It's five yeah. teams where you cannot this, clearly say. What I don't understand about the bitching, right? Because it's like, let's say, ben, uh, you know, J uh, Bananas and Justine were here instead of one of those other teams. I don't think it would have been any different. Do, nope. do you? <laughs> like, so. No, I, I think, you know, the teams that would have been materially different levels of competitor were all eliminated early for the most part. I mean, with the possible exception of. Uh, Tristan and Kellyanne, if you consider them a weak team, but they had their moments. I don't know. I, I like there were there was there were not a lot of fleas on any of the partnerships in this game yeah. from the very beginning. So, yeah. I that and we talked about this throughout the season. I think that's why both of us felt like everyone, anyone who is making a fuss over eliminating competitors out of fear. Of, of how they might compete later on is kind of like fighting a losing battle. <laughs> yeah. Like I just don't I just don't know why the guy who played for the damn Dallas Cowboys is scared of anybody in this game. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I think, you know, I don't know that he's scared scared, but he's definitely doing too much as a result of who he perceives to be the best at something. And what, what's unclear is what, is it just running with Jordan? Is it maybe just that Jordan is like a triathlete and really good at long stuff? I, don't know. I would be um, worried about Theo, the Olympic runner in the running, personally. <laughs> right. Like, that's the thing. And I don't think Theo struggles in a long run. So, like, I don't know. And frankly, like, Sarah and Tori are a decent matchup. Like, those teams look pretty equal to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. So. I don't know. I like I I don't know. 
It's, it was all very strange, and it smacks of Sarah because he, he's just being slightly uh, more paranoid than he should be, right? Yeah. Smacks of her influence. Well, I do yeah. think, like, he talked about them communicating every day when they weren't, you know, competing, and, and it's clear they have a very significant relationship, and I do think he kind of let her take the reins from a how we're going to handle the season standpoint, and... That's why I think he looked so upset when she's sitting on his bed in tears about like, oh, well, I love Emily so much. Maybe I should send you in. Like, go fuck yourself. Yeah. I I, I tell you what, during the reunion, I would like to hear from Kiki and her take on this whole thing. You know what Agreed. I mean? Agreed. <laughs> and not Darrell's partner, Kiki, but Danny's no, wife, not that, Kiki. No, definitely not that Kiki. No. There's, there's only one Kiki. No offense to Darrell's uh, partner, Kiki. There's only one Kiki in my book. You know what I mean? I do. Um, <laughs> Kiki's. That's not even the key. The other Kiki's real name. You know what I mean? It isn't. Um, all right. Anything else from the challenge? No, I think that about covers it. I'm very excited for this final. I think it it's going like- to be a great one. We saw. Oh, there was one thing. Uh, just as I'm looking through my notes. Um, two things, actually. One is. Uh, Troy, I don't know if you caught this, but Troy is is with me. Troy is also on to yes, not being the angel he paints himself to be. Scheming yes. Troy was like, that's enough of you. I've had it. I see through your act. Yeah, I don't like like I said, I don't feel like yes was playing the angel so much this this in this particular game. I think he just was always the guy that was out for himself. But he went up to Troy. He walked up to Troy and was like, oh, I'm so sorry, buddy. I really hate to have pulled the cord on you guys first and sent you directly into elimination. You know, it's just, it's a tough one. It's that time of the game. I, you know, nothing but respect. And Troy was like, you kidding me? It's like the fourth (laughs) straight time you've sent me in. And he literally said, why are you sorry now? And yes, had <laughs> nothing for that. Nothing. <laughs> Should have said stuff it. You can stuff it. Get yes. stuffed. Get stuffed. <laughs> the other thing was, uh, I thought maybe the best scene of the episode was um, Danny and, was it Danny and Tori? There's two people having a pretty serious game conversation. No, I guess it had to be Sarah and somebody. Maybe it was Sarah and Danny. And Theo was, like, on the other bed just sitting there shortly after the challenge. And all of a sudden, the people finish their conversation and get up and leave, and it's just Theo by himself. But he wasn't really a part of the previous conversation, and he just just goes, I think think maybe a jacuzzi. (laughs) <laughs> nah, no. I don't know. Yeah, you know what? I think a jacuzzi. And then the next shot is just him by himself in the hot in the tub. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, they had a jacuzzi this whole time? Right? Even, right? Like, have you seen anyone in the jacuzzi before? I don't remember it, and I can tell you that that's where I would be, especially after every single challenge. Literally every night. <laughs> it would be another thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was that. I I did notice that part because I was like, "What? What? What? There's a jacuzzi." 
I really feel like there was, this was not taken advantage of in a variety of ways that it could have been taken advantage of in. Um, it's it's a little disappointing. The uh, there was <laughs> there was one other part that I uh, had had uh, had written down. And I, uh, oh, T, I thought TJ's goodbye to Yes and Emily uh, was interesting because he was definitely giving them a, I really hope to see you again sort of you know uh-huh. vibes, which I thought was interesting for. Yes, who's essentially a retired kind of all-star player. And Emily, who's a, you know, challenge world person that, you know, who knows what their future is in this franchise, right? Well, but I think he, uh, TJ doesn't think, I don't think TJ's I really hope to see you again is re- is based on, like, logistical viability. Oh, I th- I feel like his 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 comments at the end are are calculating. Yes, but I feel like they are calculating to say that he respects the way they played the game and give them some credit, not calculating whether they have the time in their schedule to return to the show. Oh no, I yes, yeah, I disagree with that. I think if, I like I think if he just thought they did well, he would just say you guys were awesome. You know what I mean? I think when he wants them back, that's when he does the. You know what I mean? No, I agree. I could, he wants them back, but he's not yeah. the friggin' casting director. No, correct. <laughs> like I don't think. I just think he's calling out to the casting director. You know what I'm saying? Yes, but I don't think he. I don't think he would not say it because he feels like yes has too much going on in his personal life to come back next season. Right. Yeah, I was honestly thinking more about Emily, or really some of these world challengers in general. Like, are they going to get folded into the regular franchise? I you think know? he. I. Why wouldn't you want a multiple medal winner in yeah. your in your cast? She was good. This it. she was she was both. I mean, look, the swimming thing alone was remarkable, which he specifically mentioned, and I would say she was a perfectly good competitor for her rookie season on on a challenge. Like that was that was really good. Yep, not afraid to mix it up as well. Yeah. Uh, all right, should we move on to Top Chef? Let's do it. Also getting down to the nitty-gritty. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, another, you know, another real challenging episode, I think. This one, uh, not only is the, they're the, oh, my God, we're cooking Indian food for Padma. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're making a whole lot of stuff. You know? Too <laughs> much stuff for some. And a lot of places to go wrong. Yeah. Um, on this week's episode and it made made certainly for some drama and i feel like we had an elimination where it it would have been hard to argue with anyone who got sent home or one for that matter because this was really i this is something i wrote down in my notes like specifically of maybe any top chef episode i've ever seen there were seven competitors there was as they tasted the food an obvious top three, totally middle, bottom three. Like right as the food touched their lips, it was obvious. Nobody was like, I mean, you know, Buddha's bad plate came with a great dessert, right? But like for the most part, it was not a lot of uneven, this stuff, all these things were really great, but these other two weren't. Like it was this Gabri just fell to pieces in the kitchen. Um, he's incredibly lucky 
that he did not go home. Um, yep. Victoire j- just didn't spice anything correctly. And I think ultimately that was what made the decision. And, and I guess if I'm thinking about it from like a lay perspective, Indian food is literally all about the spices and how they're executed and the balance of the spices. And if you blow it in basically every respect with spices, I guess I can understand why that is the deciding factor. Yeah, but let's not forget that Buddha failed to get everything on a plate. That's right. I was just going to say, because in any normal week, Buddha or Gabri easily could have gone home. Buddha messed up the rice and left the plate off of Padma's dish. Yeah, messed up rice says, I mean, like, that is a classic send you home, right? Well, and lucky for the him. was already talking about Last Chance Kitchen in the episode. That's you know right. I mean? And lucky for him, Victoire also fucked up the rice. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It, 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 Gabri burned beans, replaced them with lentils, burned those, and then didn't have time to make the foie gras, so, like, threw scallops into a dish where they didn't belong. And didn't strain the chutney so it had big pieces of tamarind, which is, like, not a thing you do. Yeah. yeah that, it was... that is a go-home dish in any normal week, right? Like, I, think, I think what saved Buddha and Gabri, it was Gail's point, basically, that they each put one delicious thing on that plate. Yep. And Victoire had done. You because know I mean? every single piece of what Victoire did was not spiced well. That was yeah. ultimately the deciding factor, I think. And bummer for her. I don't know if did you watch Last Chance Kitchen? I did, yeah. 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 Um she is gone gone. And and Charbel, I think, is coming back, but obviously the uh, two part finale is still upcoming. Right. Well that's the thing, knowing that there's a double elimination next week. I mean, there's gonna be two badass chefs he's gonna have to beat first. So Of course, um, but I and we'll see who they are, but I do think Charbel is hot right now. You can tell he's like he's feeling himself. He's he's even yeah. talking some trash. <laughs> um, I I want to talk real quickly Charbel, about so hot right now. This is so hot right now. Charbel. Speaking of hot right now, I mean this episode had a clear MVP because one person won both the quick fire and the elimination, uh, and that is Amar who. Uh, has a win now in two high places in the last uh, four elimination challenges. Um, are we taking Amar seriously enough as a guy who could win this thing? I am. I am, I think. I still don't take him as seriously as I take Buddha and Ali, but I take him as seriously as anyone else here, and I would say this. Yeah, and uh, Ali has a win in, in three high places uh you know, in the last four. And Buddha well. so is Buddha. You know? Right. Like and he didn't win the quick fire today, but he did it he was top three and he did it by doing something where Padma literally said as he put the meal down, this is a hard sell. Like uh, yep. So again, it's just even though he blew it in the in the elimination challenge and is lucky to still be here, it's another week where Buddha does something that defies expectation even for him um he's just a wildly impressive chef and uh i think he he and ali for me have elevated themselves above the rest and by the way um ali was basically you know the silver medal version of what amar did this week finishing in the top 
in both the challenges. Uh, so, yep. you know. And then we have Sarah, who is the only contestant who is yet to be on the bottom. Well, this is what I would say. Yeah. I love Amar's personality. I struggle a little more with Sarah's. But there is oh, something. I like Sarah's personality. Yeah. But, but, but that's not even the point. There is something about what they are both doing that makes me kind of hope they win. Because Amar, and it's different. Sarah is the the chef who I think more than anyone has found creative and pretty incredible ways to bring what she does to bear in a thousand different styles and fashions, right? She did she did American Southern Indian food on this episode last night. And they loved it. I mean, loved yeah, it, was, it. It was pretty ingenious. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. It really was so creative and and so fine dining by like creativity and execution if not by look and pretension which to me is a pretty special thing that she's doing really with the food i i am so impressed by her and i think it's a beautiful thing to show that wherever you're from basically you can you can make something world level spectacular out of the things that mean something to you food wise right yeah like that to me is a cool message um and and you know in a different a different way a similar message about Ali, um, and then Amar is just first of all a bundle of joy on television and just seems like it's good for everyone's mental health to have him like in the house. Yeah, uh, but also he the way he he won this week was literally just by. Essentially, trusting his his tongue, trusting his taste buds, and making flavors, like combining flavors that he knew would work without necessarily ever having used them before. Yeah. And he just kind of tasted his way to two spectacular dishes, which is a really cool thing to see a chef do. Yeah, and I don't know that I've ever really kind of seen that on the show before, honestly. Like, there were times where it was just like, he's just making shit up, but it, but it worked. Right. You know? And so. he, and and I also thought, you know, uh, just the way, and he talked about it too, right? Like, I really don't know these things, but I trust my taste buds, and I know things that taste good together. So, like, I'm going to use these flavors that I've just learned, and I'm going to combine them in ways that I know flavors go well together and we'll see what happens <laughs> and it was great yeah and he is he really is a fun presence in that god her her goodbye in last chance kitchen is worth a watch for anyone who uh enjoyed her her time on the show yeah yeah hope, hope we get to see her again in some way shape or form Agreed. um 
Yeah, I it's interesting. This the next week's challenge looks like another tough one. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I think it could spell trouble for some folks. I'm a little worried about Sarah in this Wellington challenge. I don't I don't know why. Just huh. seemed like the trailer. Uh I, I think it was something she said in the trailer, I think, that made me think yeah. she was That's a misdirect a lot. But we'll Yeah, see. it could be. Could be. But you know, two people. I think it's a hard one. Somebody somebody's messing up that Wellington and two people are going home for it. So there's not that many people left. Do you know what I mean? So yep. it's a little scary. Yep. It sure um, is. Um, I, yeah, but I can't wait. I can't wait for that one. I think it's uh, the season is like it feels like it's still peaking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And all of these chefs are really excellent, even if Gabri was a bit of a mess this week. Yeah, that's Gabri's thing. He's usually he's usually very good or a mess. Right. You know, that's right. not a lot of in between with him. He's only been in the middle twice. <laughs> really. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. That fits. That fits what it feels like to me. Um, yeah. Seems did you right. realize that Tom was a cruise ship chef? I did. Yes. So I gotta look he, into this. He's talked about that a couple times, actually. I I missed it somehow, and my parents just went to Antarctica, and he mentioned going to Antarctica, and so. I kind of wonder if they ate his food. Yeah, could be. I need to figure this out. It does. It sort of fits him, right? Like he's very into like world traveling, and you know. Yeah, agree. I don't know. I I would certainly like to. I, I you know I don't know how wild I am about going on a cruise right now, but if I'm going on a cruise, I certainly want to wind up on his. You know what I mean? Yeah, no doubt. It'd be dope to have him making food for two weeks. I will say almost everyone on my parents' Antarctica cruise got COVID. So, oh, gotcha. <laughs> Usually, I don't. I, 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 when you think of cruise ship food, you think of lots of it, but you don't think like amazing meals. You I've know never what I mean? Really been on a cruise? I don't think so. I don't really have a sense. So, oh, well, maybe one of these days. You know, actually, with kids, it's kind of a kind of a decent time to do it. You right. Know I mean? Take those I, Disney cruises. Right. I don't think I'm going to do that. I am in discussions to uh, take a three generation of Kolsky's road trip uh, with my father and my son that would include um, like some Disneyland, maybe some San Diego Safari Park and Zoo action, little Legoland, just like bam, 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 smash up all the parks uh, on a little three gen road trip. Oh, that could that could that could be fun. Yep, yep. Luckily, like my son is too young to to hear this and get overexcited before it's actually locked in. But we're working on it. <laughs> that is very good. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna want to keep that a secret until you know the Disneyland is attainable. I would assume. Right. Although, like he does, I don't think he, I don't think he would have any sense of what that is. Um, but I think we could show him pictures. I don't know. I'm interested to see how he'll respond. He's a he's an emotional and uh, easily overwhelmed four year old, but. I do think, in particular, the zoo and safari park in San Diego are, are right up his alley. Speaking of uh, don't have any sense of what it is, do you want to talk about Class of 09? <laughs> yeah. I got, a, I got a little confused sometimes with the time jumps in the Class of 09. <laughs> um, we've got we, – there's clear there, – there are three distinct timelines in the show, right? You've got the, uh, the, you've got the kids at the academy. Yeah. Then you've got them in the FBI, and then you've got the sort of senior um, minority report you know, for, future. 
Yeah, the, the yeah the twenty thirty nine future where uh, 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 Brian Tyree Henry's uh, running the FBI. Essentially, Teo Teo's running the FBI. Teo Teo. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> and I can't always tell, particularly um, Kate Mara's character. I can't always tell which timeline. I I can tell when she's a, a trainee, right? But the other timelines, I, I get confused. Or, or, are you with me at a, on this at all, or am I just being dumb? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm I am with you that she looks mostly the same in those two timelines, but they're pretty obvious with the the like. I'd say just the look of it, and like they put big letters on the screen that say things like "the past" and "the, and the present." <laughs> the technology part, I get. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's. Yeah, I don't know that I was that confused by that aspect of it. I am maybe confused about what kind of show this is. But I, I'm not going to say I'm uninterested. Me neither. I wouldn't say it's bad. I'm just a little confused. But that's all. I I don't know if it's just an effect of the streaming world. But I've been having these sorts of feelings with things that I maybe like a lot lately. And it's sort of a weird feeling because it's, you know, part of it is an instinct to want to watch more. But part of it is an instinct to 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 feel like I am to feel like I know what I'm watching to make a decision about whether I actually want to be watching it you know I feel like so many things I suppose there is a level of something writing acting just overall film execution who knows but some cocktail that would make me fascinated and fully all in even without totally knowing what the hell is happening or like even what kind of show this is going to be um like is this a show about the danger of technology and policing is this a show just about some people who happen to you know work for the fbi and have strange interactions over the course of 30 years or whatever it is like what is what the hell is this show what are we doing um, and where does this guy who's got the war against the fbi fit in right right and and i feel like <laughs> i want to know that um but so I feel like there should be more. I, I, I don't <laughs> I don't I don't know why some things I'm fine being week to week. I don't know why I can watch succession week to week, but I feel like something like this I want more of. but I, somehow I feel like they at least need to get us to the point. In part because it's so serious. Like, it's not... Mrs. Mrs. Davis, as as an example, it's hard to know what the hell's going on for the first, like, six episodes, but it's like a goofy thrill ride. It's kind of... That's part of the fun. And with this, it just... It feels like it could be a real slog if it continues to be so opaque. Yeah, because it is very serious. (laughs) It's really, really, really serious. We're not stopping for a lot of laughs in this one. (laughs) No. 
<laughs> that is true. And I, um, I'm with you on that. And so now I'm in this place where I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't even know if I like the show or don't like the show. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think I want to watch more, but I wouldn't say that means I like it. You know, it's. Yeah. And I don't, you know, look, to cuddle up to, I guess after, after what is it? Two or three episodes. Uh, agreed. I think it's two. And, and I think that makes for a good transition. Cause I feel extremely similarly about silo. I don't know where you're at. Um, but I've watched all the episodes. I, I even got the one that dropped late last night and like, <laughs> you know, broadly speaking, same comments, more specifically speaking to one part of it, the the fact that I don't know what's happening outside the silo, like I get that that's something that it's part of the approach, I guess. We are we are in the silo with the people who are in the silo that we don't know. You know, there's theories about is that really what's happening outside, what they're seeing on the screens, um, or is it somehow edited? We have evidence to believe it's edited, but are those people still all dead? Why did they die? Um, we're we're supposed to have all these questions, and it's supposed to, I guess, create a tension. But I think it is. It is. I feel like I need the dramatic irony of knowing. Hmm. <laughs> and. And maybe that just means they've created a good mystery, but I don't know, man. I don't know what it's serving for that to be hanging over every episode because all I'm thinking about is like, okay, but what is happening outside? Because that dramatically affects what I think about what's going on inside. Yeah. Well, you asked me where I was and now I'm a little bit more confused since you've watched one more than I have. And you still sort of feel this way. I would say that I was kind of uh, ready to leave this behind until almost literally the last thing I saw, which was David Ayelowo being like, I got to get I got to get out there and find out what's going on with uh, with uh, my wife and bring her back. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And then I was kind of like, all right, I'm in for that. But it yeah. sounds like sounds like we're not really getting answers on what's out there in this next episode. So not in episode three. We are in fact going deeper into the silo. So yeah. um let's go outside. Right. That's I guess maybe that's that's my uh or even if, my capital review of this show then. Uh, just bring it give me an aspect. Like the dual worlds of what is happening on either end would be interesting to me. The the like those people died out there. Oh, wait, they may not be dead. Okay, let's focus on some other stuff. That is, yeah, for an episode, sure. For for half an episode, for a cliffhanger, I get it. But, like, is that just going to hover over the rest of the show? Because that is sort of what it feels like. And, again, like, I feel like I almost have to keep watching to find out the answer to that question. But if the answer is, you know... To the negative, I don't want to watch it. So it puts me in a weird position. Yeah. I do like the cast, uh, although I do think David Oyelowo is a small man to be sort of cast as the uh, the sheriff of what seems to be a pretty fierce police state, right? Like, well, you don't, you don't want to mess with the law in the silo, right? I guess, but 
also it it seems like a pretty docile police state and friendly police state doesn't it yeah i like there's, people are not they don't hate the police it seems like and there's not a lot of like armed people and there's not a lot of police staff and there's not a lot of like uprising or fighting yeah i guess that's true but again because we have no context because we are as in the dark as the people in the silo it's hard to judge any of it in a way yeah it does, i mean you're with me right though that it does seem pretty authoritarian in there right it feels like a benevolent dictatorship which i think is the you know of all the largely imaginary forms of government probably the best this is a philosophical conversation that yeah, we sure is. probably that have we, another time we just left the toy department on that one yeah i mean anything bigger than a dictatorship is just going to struggle to get stuff done and make decisions so you know if you have a truly benevolent dictatorship i think you're in the best possible situation which which by all evidence now look that doesn't exist in the in the real world and often not in movies either. So my suspicion is there is some darkness under the surface that we have yet to witness. Um, obviously, there's the one big rule, which is a little dark. <laughs> but again, we don't know really what the what that sentence means because we don't know what's going on outside of the silo. Um, yeah. But also think about like Rashida Jones' reaction when she sees those like blueprints and things. You know what I mean? The like I shouldn't even be looking at this. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, like I said, it's real fear there, right? Yes, and, and I don't that, know that it's just about the one big rule. You know what I mean? It hints at a darkness, right? I'm yeah. just saying we haven't necessarily seen evidence of it. I'm not Correct. saying this is a successfully run benevolent dictatorship. I'm saying that's the appearance that the show is creating to this point. Yeah, I don't know. But there are hints of darkness, right? There's her being afraid of blueprints. There's the weird, like, sanctioned and unsanctioned relationships and who's allowed to have kids and the uh, the birth control situation. Um, but also to your point about the cast, if David Ayelowo and Rashida Jones are gone for the rest of the series, the cast isn't as good as it was. <laughs> <laughs> also correct, which makes me think that they won't be gone. Right, which, again, like... Let's see what's going on out there. If we're going to eventually see what's going on out there, let's just do that. And then we can better understand the entire situation, which I think makes for a better TV show. Takes you back to let's go outside, man. Let's just go outside. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Um, Same all page. Right. I, I think that wraps us up on, on homework and stuff for the week. Um, anything you want to share playoff-wise before we get out of here? Um, you know, I haven't, let me pull out my phone and take a quick gander at Twitter. I have not double checked on the status of Andrew Wiggins recently. Um, but I will say if Andrew Wiggins is not available, uh, that's going to be awfully tough. I, I just, I don't know. If Andrew Wiggins cannot play and or cannot be effective and Anthony Davis is playing and effective, I think it's awfully tough. 
Now, um, maybe that gets Kaminga in the game, which could be interesting, I guess. Um, but I don't know. I if if it's if it's less than full strength Warriors against full strength Lakers the rest of the way, I think it makes it a lot tougher. If Wiggins is can be himself, you know, gets the right cortisone shot or just grits through the pain or what have you, because it, it sounds like it's just a pain management issue as far as the rib injury he has. Uh, then I think the Warriors has have every, you know, every it's a 50-50 game to me. I, I think yeah. they absolutely have a, a good shot at it. I think if they I can. I don't know if it's all that dissimilar from the game that they won without Draymond in the last round against the full strength Kings, you know what I mean? You, you wouldn't like their chances in that game either, right? But, um, sure. You know, they they have the type of players who can have the type of night that overcomes some probabilities. Now, it, it gets a little tougher when, you know, Jordan Poole's been largely unplayable for stretches in this series. Well, and, um, yes. Now, he did have a game where he was not unplayable in game five, which is encouraging. It wasn't a great game, but it was a viable game where he could play over 20 minutes without killing the team um and you know the difference between that and an explosive game is just getting hot which can happen basically at any time um same goes for clay thompson he's never unplayable but he wasn't good so if both of those guys are good yeah well that'd be great um, the way the Warriors have played, though, like I don't know that you can expect that in back-to-back games. So not having Wiggins would be a significant problem because beyond anything, he's he's a huge defensive asset against a team not only with LeBron James but with other wing players who've had an effect in, in Lonnie Walker and D'Angelo Russell and also Wiggins gets switched on to Anthony Davis plenty with those small lineups and – does a better job than most people would in that position. Right. So, look, we don't know 100% that Anthony Davis is 100% either, right? So, um, Totally not. So, and, yeah. and by the same token, if Wiggins is, you know, 90% and Davis is 50%, then I think the Lakers are in a lot of trouble. I, I Unfortunately, I think there's a decent chance that the injury statuses, respectively, of Davis and Wiggins have a huge effect on who wins this series. Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, I don't know. I'm not putting the words into the ground until I see it. I agree. We are very much on the same page with that. I have been too close to this team and seen them do too much too many times to stick a fork in them before they are absolutely cooked. And if the steak gets a little more well done than I ideally have it, so be it. But I am I am certainly not ready to say they are done. There's just – I mean, hell, even if Wiggins plays five minutes and then can't go the rest of the night, I'm not going to say it's over till it's over because what Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson are capable of with their backs against the wall, I, we've seen it too many times to say they can't. Yeah. Can we uh can can we just gush on Nikola Jokic for a couple minutes? What a player. I just 
he's he's my favorite non warrior to watch, and it's not close. It's just to me the platonic idea of how one can play basketball, and it's so surprising because it just you're just used to seeing great athletes be the best players in this game. But not saying he's not a great athlete, obviously, but he he does not appear it's all relative to be an athlete. You know he's what I mean? Not he's not a great athlete by NBA standards. He's yeah. good. He's a great athlete by any other standard. The NBA, in my view, has the highest standard for overall athleticism of anything in the world. It really does. All the different things you have to do, running and jumping, you know, the only thing that's not part of it is basically long-distance running. But if you're a superstar, you play enough minutes that it essentially is that as well. So it it, it is part of the charm that he is – even in his, you know, modern felt version, still a little soft, still a little slow, but I, I, I think this is weird to say with LeBron James literally playing tonight, but I think Nikola Jokic may be the player in my lifetime who who has like if we viewed a player as as their 2k ratings you know dribbling mid-range three-point shooting passing i think nikola jokic has both consistently the highest average rating in across all categories and also the highest floor in any single category of any player I've ever seen. Yeah, he does. He does everything. He does everything you'd want to do on a court. He's like that. Everything. He's like the guy in the pickup game. It's not that he like that guy. He's he's good. You know what I mean? Like he's definitely a good player. But there's just a craftiness where you're watching him destroy all of these teams with his mind, essentially <laughs> like, like sometimes you're just playing against a guy who just sees the game so much better than you, that you were like, it, it's like, it's a joy to watch. Like he just makes the right damn pass every time. And it's, I, the uh, ultimate I version of that. And this is not intended to be a humble brag, although it will certainly come across as one, <clears throat> the ultimate version of that, which I have been lucky enough to experience on only a couple of occasions is playing in a pickup game with an older ex-NBA player. Um, I, When I was working for the Bakersfield Jam in the NBA D-League at the time, not G-League yet, uh, Greg Miner. Do you remember Greg Miner? No. Um, Greg Miner was a... Boston Celtics draft pick, I believe, out of Louisville. Yes. Uh, he was a 6'6". He was one of the, like, ne- <clears throat> like early next Jordan type guys. Mm-hmm. Drafted in 95. Ridiculous athlete. Um, you know, shooting guard, 6'6". And his hip had like a huge issue i don't remember exactly what it was like it got arthritic or something he was out of the league by the time he was 27 and he was starting his coaching career as an assistant with this d-league team and like 
me and the trainer and some of the other, you know, younger assistant coaches, and I was generally the worst player on the floor, but like decent enough to to get involved and hold my own with those guys, right? The the like D League trainer and assistant coaches, uh, right. who were who were five eleven white guys, six foot white guys. Uh, Greg Miner and and Mark Strickland was another assistant coach. Um, who who also played in this pickup game. One day they were like, let's all play. And Greg couldn't move. Like his hip was still, you could see it when he walked all the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and yet he could still do like a one-step standing jump dunk and he, and palm a basketball and, you know, dip it over your head. And the way he moved about the floor, hit every shot, and passed the ball was just like he it was it was it was from a basketball perspective, it was being on the floor with a, a different species. Um and that's kind of what Jokic is like on the NBA floor. And this yeah. is a dude with a bum of- hip. Yeah. You know. But like it's the same thing amongst the best players of the uh, in the world and and he just the way he finishes around the rim sure he can dunk and he'll do it occasionally but almost all of his stuff within seven feet are these little running floaters and he just has this feathery touch yeah Mm -hmm. 70 percent true shooting percentage for the season it's (laughs) remarkable and it's not like he's not shooting jumpers he shoots from every level of the floor he can make every single pass, and he sees the floor better than just about anybody in the league. It's and he's remarkable. got a pretty good handle, by the way, at seven foot. Yes, like exactly. And by yeah. the way, also, despite internet propaganda, he's like an average to above average defender overall. The, right, the Nuggets are an average defensive picks. team. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like – he uh, he is he's talked about like he's a sieve like he's Jordan Poole on defense and that's just not the case. He's like it's kind of like Steph. I heard someone else make this comparison, where like everyone's like, oh, but Steph on defense. And the other night when Lonnie Walker got hot and hit like four shots with Steph's hand in his face, everyone's like, see Steph, blah blah blah. But like anyone looks bad if you hunt them. You know, any six three right. guard looks bad <laughs> if you hunt them, them over and over again with LeBron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, of course he looks bad. He's a perfectly good defender. No, he'll never be an elite defender, and it's the same with Jokic. He's never going to be, you know, even Rudy Gobert defensively, much less Draymond Green or, you know, Robert Williams, but he is effective. Yep, he's fine. And the numbers actually say he's good. The number, the number, he's probably not as good as the numbers say, but the numbers say yeah. he's good. Right. So, uh, yeah, he's he's a tremendous player. By the way, I I have played with some guys uh, who went on to be in the NBA, but they were still in college when I was playing against them, and I was uh, not good enough, I think, to bring out those aspects of their game. So, uh, <laughs> didn't didn't quite see any of that, any of that genius from some guys who who had like. Pretty good NBA careers. Who? Um, uh, I played against Jerry Stackhouse in, in pickup games before. Uh, Rodney Rogers in a pickup game before. I don't know if you remember him. Of course I remember Rodney Rogers. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, a couple, one of the first stretch fours, Rodney Rogers. Yeah, yeah. So like legit, they were legit NBA players, obviously. So, um, but yeah, no, I was not not anywhere near that. No, I mean it. Well, yeah, not. I, I don't mean to suggest I was anywhere near any. Uh, of uh, 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 many uh, several years retired NBA player with a with one working hip um <laughs> that that's kind of my point is just it was spectacular and it just you know it's it's almost it, the, the, again it, for me with Jokic it's just the remarkable level of skill in every category and especially for a guy who never seems to care too much no no, and I don't. I honestly, you know, I was. I felt like he really got slighted in the MVP. Not even in the Mark Jackson way. By the way, I, I actually believe the Mark Jackson thing of like I just forgot to vote for him. <laughs> like that that checks that tracks to me. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but um, like I, I don't think he cared. Like I think he knew I'm just gonna take the last month of the season off and not off. But you know what I mean. We're gonna. Turn it down a little bit because we've accomplished what we need to as a team. And, you know, I might not win this award, but whatever. I got two of them, and that's not what I'm here for. So He's got two MVPs, and he's got plenty of good regular season finishes. What yeah. he doesn't have is the title or even a finals appearance, and they absolutely geared the stretch run of their season to be as fresh as possible for a playoff run. And, then of course, that's what they did. Yeah. Yeah, and this is, uh, you know, I think his very best chance, and I'm just happy that we're getting to a place where lots of other people are talking about him as the best player in the game. Um, you know, cool. I just, I can't believe that I'm becoming this this guy. Uh, I never wanted to be this guy. But I'm just reaching the point where, like, the best player in the game debate is so silly to me. Mm-hmm. Because, sure, maybe he is. But, like, so is Steph Curry. So is Joel Embiid. So is Giannis. So, one out of every three nights is Anthony Davis. Like, it's... Are, what you're essentially saying, right, is that these guys are all amazing and that there's no point in really splitting the hairs? Well, I'm I I guess my point is whatever hair you split that comes out Jokic, I could split another that'll come out Steph or Embiid or or you know, whoever. And and especially in a regular seat like the, the people who like quote tweet stat muses side by side of Embiid and Jokic to rage about it in some way. It's like it's so goofy to me to well, suggest the, that somehow the it's a part is goofy. Like I can think Jokic is better than Embiid and I do, but it, it, that doesn't mean that Embiid isn't awesome. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? And beyond that, I, I don't think you would argue that it's a travesty that Jokic did not win a third straight MVP. Like, no, I don't. It's not a travesty that he didn't win. I, I, I find it a bit of a travesty that I think a lot of people were just bored with his excellence. You know what I mean? I guess, but that's all we that is that that is as traditional as an orange basketball. Like, <laughs> that's, that's true. So, you know, you know, and I, I think I think the same is also true for Giannis. By the way, yes, so, exactly. Uh, 
Like, uh, he won back to – Steph, the same thing was true. He got a unanimous MVP, and then somehow everyone was upset about it. Like, how does that work? He won unanimously. Everybody voted for him. We all, we all agreed, guys. Right. And then everyone was upset that it happened. It's it, like the discourse has always been silly. I'm just saying for me, like I'm reaching a point where I don't even I don't know that it's meaningful to say Nikola Jokic is better than Steph Curry because it 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 depends entirely on your specific rubric for grading. And to me, there is a tier of guys who any given night, and you know, look, some guys we may rise. Durant, to, what's that? We didn't even mention Kevin Durant. I was just going to say some guys may rise to the top of that tier by doing it more consistently, but like Durant, that there's still a level of LeBron on any given night that might be the best player in the NBA. So like, I don't know. Just Devin because. Booker, I- 37 points a game in the playoffs on like 65 percent shooting for <laughs> yes. half of that like, I, it, it, and and he to me would still be on that second tier with guys like tatum but the first tier is a handful of guys and right. i don't See, know that there's like, a meaningful I, way right just now just saying that doesn't that immediately don't you want to get into like a, all right devin booker versus tatum who's better because it's fun right it's just fun oh totally I, I get there's no real answer you know what i mean but it's fun well, I guess that's I my point. I, I'm still willing to have the conversation. I do think it's fun, but I struggle to make the decision for myself anymore because I I don't know what the right grading rubric is, and if you change the rubric ever so slightly, different you get a different answer. Yep, that that's fair. I, I the anger part is the part I don't get. You know what right. I mean? Well, that to me is why the anger is so silly is like we can all agree that there's three or four guys who are so damn good that it's perfectly reasonable for them to win an award. Yeah. You know, but, well, that's fair. and by the way, I'm not sure that like these two guys have arguably been the two best players in the league for three years. One of them won it twice. Give it to the other guy. I don't think that's such a bad argument. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I guess I, I, I did like we've had this the whole thing. And I don't quite buy that for Embiid. I think that Jokic and Giannis have been better than him. Well, Embiid uh, is a better defender than Jokic. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he just is, is by a he lot. Is, but I think Jokic is a lot better offense player than Embiid is, and, I guess. Uh, and is on the court a lot more consistently. And I think we're seeing in these playoffs, you know. Anyway, I don't want to. We don't have to get too far down that road. But um, sure, um, but also it's not a playoffs award, so that doesn't also mean true. a lot. Also true, I, but like um, that's why we remember the playoffs because those the the playoffs are distinguishing from a historical perspective, and I think it'll be easier to acknowledge who or to argue about who the better player is. From a historical perspective, once we have all that stuff. But in terms of, like, right now, who's the best? I just, I mean, it kind of depends what you want or what you need or what the situation is. or And, and depending on how you rate best, you're going to get a different answer every time. Either way, it's great for the league that they've got so many of these guys that you can argue about at this point. Totally great. And by the way, there's a whole younger class of guys who – who I, I might call potential tier ones, right? From 
if Zion can stay healthy, if Ja can keep his head on straight, Anthony Edwards, you know, I guess you could still count Tatum in that group. He's only like 25. Um, you got all the young players. I mean, Paolo Bancaro. Uh, there's so much young talent still coming. It's, I really think the league's in a great place. Yeah. Oh, and, oh, and by the way, I was going to say, there's this Victor Wembanyama guy people seem yeah. to be excited about. Um, you know, you do, we need to mention people like Anthony Edwards. You know what I mean? Like, there's uh, um, I did. I said him. Oh, you did? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I that. No, he's spectacular. He's spectacular. All right, let's uh, let's do some homework and get out of here. All right, we are uh, we picked a couple shows. We settled early on shows this week, um, and uh, one of them is a, actually going at a couple comedies. Start with the Pete Davidson, uh, Edie Falco, Joe Pesci comedy on Peacock called Bupkis. Yep. Um, there's a uh, comedy that's getting a lot of buzz. And uh, we, you can watch it on Amazon. I think it's Freebie is the place that it actually originates. It's, but uh, that's like part of Amazon. You keep making this big deal about Freebie. I don't think it's like such a big thing. But it's in its, its own channel. I don't really understand any of this. I, I, I think know. it's its own like Amazon channel. I think it's just like, uh, but it only exists on Amazon, as far as I can tell. But I've heard great things about this show. It looks really funny, and I'm excited to watch it. It's basically like a jury that there's one guy who doesn't know that everyone else is acting, right? Right. Okay. I'm in for that. Um, and uh, the other thing we're going to watch is Dear Mama, the Tupac documentary on Hulu. So Bupkis, yeah. Jury Duty, Dear Mama is your homework. I heard a really good interview with, uh, I believe it's Alan Hughes, the director of the... A Hughes brother. Right. Well, you may know him as one of the Hughes brothers of you know, menace to society and dead president's fame. Um, but he is the director specifically of this documentary himself. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, the Hughes brothers had a bit of a history with Tupac and uh, hearing him talk about his desire to, to tell the story of Afini Shakur, Tupac's mother, um, was really interesting and i think you know this is that more than anything that is the part of this that is the newest is she's kind of a radically uh important person in her own right who has never really gotten attention for anything other than being the mother of the rapper so i'm excited for this watch it now before florida doesn't let you anymore seriously oh god Sorry, we I took us out of the tour department there, but it was worth it for the comedy. Um, <laughs> if you say so. Let's go. Wait, isn't there something else? No, that's it. All We're right. Done. Bye. This game's in the Admiral refrigerator. The door is closed. The light's out. Butter's getting hard. The eggs are cooling, and the jello is jiggling. So long, everybody. And do me a favor. Have yourself a tremendous evening.